2 Corinthians chapter 3. I just want to go back to chapter 3 verse 5 for a moment before we go a little bit further in 2 Corinthians because last week we left off with again just that that understanding that gives us such a second win when we know that God not only saves us but he wants to use us and he wants to make himself known through us to others and it's like wow the God of the universe wants to do that with my life and and in every place we saw that last week but then obviously we would go well whoa that that's that's heavy that's that's a lot that there's no way I could ever measure up there's no way I could ever be sufficient there's no way I, I could ever have the capacity to make God known wherever I go and to whomever I come in contact with so Paul reminded us last week in chapter 3 verse 5 that our adequacy is from God see we're it's not about our ability it's it's not about our competency or our resources or whatever that was true of servants of God all through the Bible every time God would go to somebody and say hey, I want you to do something they'd always come up with a million excuses of why they couldn't do it or somebody else was better for it or whatever and God was always about not looking at us and all of our frailty and and what we don't bring to the table and just and just looking for a heart that's open wide to God and saying God if this is what you want to do with my life then here it is I just want to give it over to you so Notice then in verse 6, Paul says that God has made us adequate. He has equipped us with the adequate resources and the power to carry out whatever responsibilities he gives to us. But the point I wanted to jump off of tonight is this. And I didn't emphasize this last week, but I want to start with it tonight. Notice in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 3, the Bible says he's made us adequate to be servants. See, God equips us, gives us the resources, gives us the power to be servants. That's what God calls us to be. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And there is an honor in service from God's perspective. We look at serving and service on earth as somehow a menial, low task. But we must remember as the children of the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no higher calling or privilege in the world than being a servant of Jesus. And so when when Paul says God makes us adequate, it is adequate to be servants. To make Him known to others through our lives. Now, we also talked a little bit last week about the fact that God wants to write something on our heart. In fact, I believe every day, every time we open the Bible, every time we come into God's presence, as we walk with Him throughout the day, God wants to inscribe or engrave something on our hearts. And the, the whole idea last week was to make sure our heart is in a condition where God can write something on our heart because we saw last week that that that's so much better than just writing something down on a piece of paper or a stone tablet because if God writes it on our heart it's internal it's ever present we can't get away from it and it's powerful when God grips our heart with something it's powerful God has gripped your hearts with some things And you know it's powerful when God lays something on our heart and inscribes something on our heart. And God might also want to inscribe or engrave someone on our hearts. That in a sense God is impressing upon us some human being, some human soul that God wants us to particularly maybe pray for and talk to and minister to and open up a line of communication and build a relationship, whatever, so that we can make God known to them in some way. And so I'm just going to ask tonight that as we go through the night that maybe the Spirit of God would just impress some face, some name, whatever, some soul on your heart tonight. Because Paul said that that was true of them. When they came to Corinth, it it wasn't some cold, formalistic, professional relationship that they had with the Corinthians. God had inscribed the Corinthians on their heart. 
And Paul just wanted the Corinthians to open their heart wide back to him. Now, with all of that said, beginning tonight in this new passage we want to tackle, beginning in chapter 3, verse 7, here's what Paul really does in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. He, he wants to make sure that we get it. So he takes all of these verses basically to, to emphasize one thing and only one thing in all these verses. That the glory of what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives today and in the lives of other people is greater than anything God has ever done down through history. Including the great miracles and things that God did in the Old Testament that when many people read the Old Testament, they look at it just the opposite. They'll read the Old Testament and then they'll read the New Testament and they'll go, why doesn't God work so so great and so grand today in our day and age like He did in the Old Testament? Why doesn't He part the Red Sea uh, today like He did back then? And they look at what God did in the Old Testament as greater in scope, as, as maybe greater in quality, greater in impact than what God is doing today. And Paul wants to make it very clear that you and I who are living today understand That the greatest miracles that God has ever done, He's doing today in the hearts and lives of human beings. And that you and I are a walking miracle. And we need to remember that every day. We are an evidence that God is working. And the reason why it's greater, Paul's going to tell us here in this passage, is because it produces something that the old covenant could never produce. And it's lasting, unlike what the old covenant could ever do. So notice what Paul says. And and let me say this before I start reading. Paul's not dissing on the old covenant. In in fact, he'll say the, the old covenant was glorious. But that what God is doing today is more glorious, and Paul tells us why. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 3. If the ministry that produced death carved in letters on stone tablets came with glory so that the Israelites could not keep their eyes fixed on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, a glory which was made ineffective or of no further use because it was temporal. Notice verse 8. How much more glorious will the ministry of the Spirit be? For if there was glory in the ministry that produced condemnation, how much more does the ministry that produces righteousness excel in glory? I want to stop there for a moment because we need to emphasize that. Again, Paul's not saying that what God did in the Old Testament with the law and the Ten Commandments and all that wasn't glorious. But that couldn't produce righteousness. See, that the law was never meant to be given by God to human beings so that somehow they could live up to something. It was actually given them to show them just the opposite. I can't live up to that. So I need a Savior. So the law could never produce righteousness. There there is nothing in the law, the Bible says, that can ever bring about any kind of right standing before God and to give us the power to be able to live as God wants us to live. But the Spirit can. The Spirit can. The Spirit can produce righteousness. The law never could. Verse 10. For indeed, what had been glorious now has no glory because of the tremendous greater glory of what replaced it. For if what was made ineffective or temporary came with glory... How much more has what remains come in glory? And the two things I would just like to direct our attention to tonight is simply the reasons, again, why what God is doing today through the Spirit far excels even the great glory of what God did through the Old Testament age. One, because at the end of verse 9, the Spirit and the, the ministry of the Spirit can produce righteousness. 
The Spirit of God can give us the power, the second wind, that renewed energy that we need to keep living life at the level we we need to and we want to and we desire to. The law can't do that. In fact, there's nothing in the Old Testament sacrificial system or written laws and codes and rituals that can do that. But the Spirit of God can, living and working within a human being. And then, there was nothing permanent about anything in the Old Testament. When they would offer one sacrifice, they would have to come back and eventually offer another sacrifice. And then they would have to offer another sacrifice. And they would have to do this feast, and then they'd have to do that feast over again. But notice, in verse 11, that the reason why what God is doing today is even greater in glory than what He did in the Old Testament is because it remains If God is inscribing and engraving things on our heart, they last. It's not just a book that we can throw away or neglect or whatever. It's not just a set of rules and do's and don'ts that we can hide in a corner somewhere. But when God works on a person's heart today through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's sealed, it lasts, it's permanent, it remains. It's not just, I'm this way one day and then... No, it's something that's going to last. God wants to do a lasting, eternal work in human beings. And that's why even the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, had to come and finally be the once and for all sacrifice for sin. So that we don't need to go back and offer multiple sacrifices over again. Because they only pointed down through history to the one sacrifice that would be sufficient for all time, for all sin, for all people. Permanent. So, the reason why Paul is going here, because he wants to encourage the Corinthians, he wants to encourage us with this second wind information that the Spirit of God that you and I have access to today through being a born-again believer in Jesus Christ is something that can give us power to live every day. That the work that we allow the Spirit of God to do in our life can truly produce righteousness, which simply means God's approval. The, 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 the kind of life that pleases God. The kind of life that when we get to eternity, God can look down and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of what we've done in our own power and strength. Not because we have the adequacy or the sufficiency to do it. But our adequacy, Paul says, is from God. And God gives us everything that we need as long as we depend upon the Spirit while we're doing it. So, Paul took a lot of verses there basically to lay out one really important piece of information for this reason. That everything else now that Paul says in chapter 3... He's going to build on that foundation. That's why in verse 12, it starts out with, therefore. As I share with folks, anytime you do a Bible study with me, that's a key word throughout the Bible. Because anytime you and I are reading our Bible or studying our Bible and we come across the word, therefore, that simply directs our attention back to the preceding passage or paragraph before it. And everything that Paul or any other Bible writer is going to say at that point is built and based on what they've just said. It's sort of like a lawyer who's laying out an argument and and this is all the foundation and now here's where we go from here. So Paul says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we behave with great boldness. I'm going to stop there because there's a lot in this verse I want to look at tonight. First of all, Paul's talking about having such a hope. He says, look, because we know that the ministry of the Spirit of God that works today is of greater glory than anything God did in the Old Testament, wow, that gives me hope. Because many of us, when we read even the Old Testament, we're encouraged by the lies of those Old Testament believers. And many of us, even in the New Testament, go, I I wish I could live for God like like Moses did and and like Aaron did and Caleb and Joshua and, and Ruth and Esther and all these people. Well, guess what? We can. 
because God has given us his spirit. And, and, and what God wants to do in our lives is based upon something greater than, than was ever operating during the Old Testament economy. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you and I have to have that hope every day we wake up. The kind of hope that reminds us that God has given us what we need to produce righteousness in our lives. That we truly can live right before God and that what God wants to do in our lives will remain. It won't be some just, you know, fad, some just short little thing that God does for a day and then it's different. God wants to do something that changes our life for good, changes our life forever, puts our life on a whole different trajectory. And we've got to wake up every day knowing that. That's the kind, because notice Paul's saying, we have such a hope. He's saying, there's a lot of different, in a sense, hopes out there. I'm talking about this kind of hope. This kind of hope that believes what he's just said in verses 7 through 11. And Paul says, if you and I wake up with this kind of hope every day, then maybe we will truly begin to believe that God can use our lives in ways we never dreamed to impact this world for Him. That, that we won't, you know, quit putting God in a box of how, how our lives can be used and what God can do with us, but we will see our lives count for so much more and we'll begin to dream bigger and we'll begin to see what God could do through us if we have this kind of hope. Because, folks, if you and I wake up with this kind of hope every day, notice what Paul goes on to say. We behave with great boldness. You see, the hope that we have, which, again, is not based on just some pie in the sky by and by. It's based on what God has said, which is true. So that's why we can be confident in our hope. That's why the Bible says our hope can be an anchor for the soul, because it is based upon the character of God and the Word of God. If I wake up with that hope every day, that kind of hope, it's going to change the way I behave. It's going to change the way I live. It's going to change the choices and decisions that I make every day. And Paul then narrows it down. I'm going to begin to behave with great boldness. Here's what the word means in the original language. Holding nothing back. Or holding on to something that is unnecessary. However you want to look at it. Holding something back or holding on to something that's not necessary. See, one of the things that God will, will continue to do throughout our lives so that He can use us in greater ways is to allow us to turn over to Him things that we may be holding on to or that we may be holding back somehow from just giving everything to Him and saying, God, here it is. Here's my life. Here's my heart. Here's my mind. Here's all my resources. Here's my home, my car, whatever. Here it is, Lord. It's all Yours. And obviously, that's a process. Most people, when they become Christians, just don't surrender everything over to God. It's a process that we walk through where we continue to give God more of our lives, more rooms in our lives, more of our lives, more what we have over to Him so that He can continue to use us in greater ways to reach more and more people. That's what God's intention is, to make Himself known through us to others. And so Paul is saying when you and I wake up with this kind of hope and we truly believe it, We'll begin to behave with a great boldness. We won't hold anything back. We'll give it all to God. In fact, I want to go back to a man who's mentioned here from the Old Testament that even his name illustrates this. Moses. Moses. I mean, there was nobody like Moses. I mean, even the Bible says Moses was just incredible. Moses' name means drawing out. Because remember, he was named that as, as Pharaoh's daughter drew him out of the water. Drew him out. Now, here's where I'm going with that. God, keeping Moses' name in mind, wants to draw out something from us. Whatever we're holding back, Whatever we haven't given over to God, whatever part of our life, God wants to draw it out 
Because one of the great things about God is because God not only is our Savior, but He's our Creator. He knows us better than we do. He knows all the untapped potential. He knows all the stuff that He's put inside of us when He created us. And one of the things that God will do in order to use us and and to encourage us and give us that second win throughout our lives, because again, there's nothing more fulfilling and satisfying than living a life where God is using us and where we know He's using us, is that God may have to draw something out of us. And and maybe, like a lot of the Bible characters, we're like, oh God, uh, you got the wrong person. And God has to draw it out like He did Moses. Moses was not only drawn out of the water... But God had to draw out from Moses a leader that Moses never thought he was. God said, you can lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses like, are you crazy? I can't do that. Because God had to draw it out of him. One of the things that God will do throughout our lives as Christians is draw out from inside of us what he knows is there, but what yet we don't know is there. And that's where we have to have the hope to wake up every day with great boldness and hold nothing back. And again, not let us or any other person define who we are and where we go and what we become, but we let God alone. Because sometimes even our family and friends don't help. Sometimes we'll go to them and say, I think God's calling me to do this. And our family and friends go, are you crazy? You could never do that. They have the spiritual gift of encouragement, you know. And then we walk away going, well, then we start, then we start questioning. Well, maybe God isn't calling me to do that, or maybe God doesn't want me to do that. Now listen, I'm all for, I'm all for getting the right kind of people around and asking for their advice and whatever. But as I said, Paul made it very clear in this passage. As helpful and as great and as encouraging as biblical counsel and getting advice from people who walk with God is, at the end of the day, and really at the end of our lives, the thing that's just going to matter is, but, but what is God leading me to do? Because sometimes God is the only one that can see it. We can't see it. No one else can see it, but God can see it. And God comes into our lives and wants to draw out something that's down deep inside there that's never come up and bubbled to the surface yet. But God wants us to give Him the chance through the working of His Spirit to draw it out and to show us some things about ourselves and what we can do with Him and how He can use our lives to impact others that we've never seen yet. So folks, I want you to begin to dream big with God tonight about your life and what God can do with you. That's what Paul's telling the Corinthians. And even going there mentally, even beginning to think big with God, will begin to give you a second win. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 13, And not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from staring at the result of the glory that was made ineffective. See, the reason why Moses put a veil over his face, the Bible said, is because he didn't want the children of Israel to see that that glory faded. Yeah, his, his countenance changed when he was in the presence of God and he would come down from the mountain and he sort of would have like a glow, a, oh, you know. Oh, he's been with God, oh, you know. But after a while, because of what the Old Testament was about, It wouldn't last. It wasn't eternal. It was temporary. And so Moses didn't want the people of God to be discouraged by the fact that this light, this glory that was shining off his face would would fade. Or at least as obviously they would come to that point later on, but he didn't want them to see how quickly it faded. So he would put a veil over his face. And again, the Bible is simply reminding us we don't have to do that. Because notice, he goes on to say that their minds, verse 14, were closed. For to this very day, the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read. Here's a sad thing. Because of what the Jewish people knew, they locked themselves out of knowing anything more. 
It was like the knowledge that they already had kept them from continuing to know more and grow. It was like it sort of developed this complacency and satisfaction. Well, here's what we know. We know that God has chosen us to be his people and to be a light to the world. Uh, We know that he's given us the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know he's given us servants like Moses. He's given us the Ten Commandments. And so they had all these great privileges and resources. And because of what they already knew, they sort of stagnated there. And they never went any further with that. And actually, the privileges that should have driven them, the blessing of God that should have driven them to a deeper, clearer, more permanent, more accurate knowledge of Him and relationship with Him actually circumvented it and cut it off. The, the only way maybe I can parallel it is, is when you come across a Christian today who's been a Christian for sometimes just even a couple years. Sometimes it only takes a couple years. But sometimes it takes 5, 10, 15 years. And, and you get around these people and it's almost like they don't have that fire anymore. They, they, they know enough to where they're satisfied that they can move around in Christian circles and not embarrass themselves. They know enough of what I call that Christianese God talk that they can sort of, you know, fake it a lot of times. And, 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 they, and they know enough about the Bible that, you know, that, that they can sort of navigate that okay. And so what they know prevents them from going further in what they could know. God says, my goodness, none of us should ever get to that point where what we've already come to know prevents us from knowing more. It should actually produce some kind of motivation and drive and hunger and thirst within us to always know more and always know there's more of God, there's more of what God sees in me, there's more of what God wants to do, there's always more. See, one of the cool things I love about being a Christian is unlike almost everything else on earth, there's no ceiling with God. You you take like professional athletes, You know, they have a window where they can use their talents and abilities, but just like we saw last week, even someone as talented and great and everything as Kurt Warner says, you know what, I'm 38 years old, I've had enough of the NFL, i got to hang it up. The cool thing is, we all know that Kurt Warner has something else he's looking forward to besides football. Because for him, his life wasn't just defined by professional sports and being an athlete. Where for many of them, the reason why it's so hard to retire and give it up is because that's all they know. And then they start thinking, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I've already reached my plateau. I've reached my ceiling. There's nothing else for me to live for. You know, I'm never going to have the the fame and, and the accolades and the applause that I had back when I was in my 20s and 30s. And so they, that's it. With the Christian, it never has to be that way. We can always be learning and growing and knowing more. And that wasn't the case with the Israelites. And notice what the Bible says, that this veil is not removed because only, and this is very important, the end of verse 14, chapter 3, only in Christ is it taken away. Is its grip loosened. In other words, Paul is saying that the problem is this knowledge has actually caused a cloud or a veil or or a, a, a noose that is wrapped around them that they can't get out of. And there's nothing that they can do only by turning to Christ can that grip that this has on them be loosened and they can be set free and broken free from what they've got wrapped around them. Now, obviously, Paul's talking here in this context about, about for the most part, the, the, the Jews and, and how they approach Jesus as not being their Messiah. They have a mental block there, if you will. But when they turn to Christ in faith, that grip is loosened. Now, I want to take that principle that Paul is giving here, and you and I can apply that to anything. Because notice he goes on to say, Verse 15, until this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil still lies over their minds. 
It's like their mind is, is, is being buried by all of this dirt and, and they're like in this grave and they can't dig themselves out. But notice what Paul says, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And what they have been buried under, what their mind has been buried under, is gone. And they come up out of that grave and they are free from whatever has a grip on them when they begin to turn to the Lord and turn to Christ. We need to remember this principle throughout our lives because it will give us that second wind. Because I'm a, I'm a personal example, and many of you know the struggle I've had, I had with anxiety, that this, this, was, this was what started to do it for me was I had gotten to a point in my life where I had exhausted all of my resources and the way I thought it should be dealt with and what I could do to relieve myself of the grip that the anxiety and stress had on me. And my mind and my life was buried. I was buried under a pile of dirt that there was no way I could crawl out of or claw out of. And finally, the light bulb had to come on in my life where I realized the one thing I need to do, the only thing I need to do, is turn to Christ. Only in Christ is the grip taken away and loosened, verse 14. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And when anybody, whether they're a person without Christ who now turns to Christ and asks them to save their soul and forgive their sin, or we're a Christian and we've got something that's burying us and we've got something that's gripping us and we can't seem to crawl out of it ourselves or get out of its grip, and we won't. It's when we turn to the Lord that everything seems to change because it's in the Lord that then I receive that power and that hope to begin to see things change in our lives and to realize the change. See, we want to see the change almost like before we turn to God. We, we want to say when we're in something, well, God, if you just show me what you're going to do, then I'll trust you more. God doesn't work that way. That's like what, when they came to the Jordan River, God says to the priest, you got to put your foot in the river. And when your little or big toe or whatever toes touch that water, then I'll part it. We want the water parted by God. And then it's like, oh, cool, dry land. I'll, I'll go across. There's no faith in that, folks. There's absolutely no faith at all. And God wants us to live by faith. God wants us to come to a point where we are convinced He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. And we're willing to surrender all and hold nothing back and give everything over to Him. And then we begin to see things happen. Not the other way around. God, you show me what you're going to do. You, you start doing things, then I'll buy into it. God says, no, no. You turn to me. And that's what happened in my life. That's what's happened in many people's lives. That's what can happen in your life tonight. That whatever has got a grip on you, whatever is choking you from that second wind, whatever is, is, is exterminating that flame for God in your life can be gone as you and I start to turn to the Lord by faith and truly believe that He can help us to overcome anything that's holding us back from being what He created us to be. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Right there, that verse alone, that phrase within that verse is a great biblical proof that the Holy Spirit of God is God. 100% deity. The Lord is the Spirit. Many times in Scripture, God the Father, God. God the Son, God. God the Spirit. The Spirit isn't some weird you know, impersonal force. The Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. Freedom to become all that God created us to be. 
And that's why Paul is building up this whole idea about the Spirit. And what God is doing today is greater than anything He's ever done because He's doing it through His Spirit, which can produce righteousness, which will remain which can get us unburied from whatever's burying us, which can loosen the grip of whatever got its grip on us. This is what the Spirit of God can do. And we can be truly free. I don't know about you, but I didn't just want to be forgiven. I want to be free. Free from the things in my life that hold me back from being what God wants me to be and what God created me to be. Free for God to use my life to its maximum capacity. To hold nothing back. Free to show other people the freedom that they can have that they so desperately are looking for in so many other ways in this world. I want to be free. We need to be free. We need to rise up to freedom. And we do that when we allow the Spirit of God to have His way and His will in our heart. That's why the Bible says we can quench the Holy Spirit of God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God because the Spirit of God may want to say, point out something and draw it out of us. And we say no at this point in our life. And God the Holy Spirit then is grieved. He is quenched. It's like we throw a bucket of cold water on him when he's working. And that's why when the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, we just need to, we just need to let him do it then. You know, I, if, if the Holy Spirit's working in your heart tonight in, in some situation, don't, don't leave the campus and say, well, you know, I'll... I'll, I'll do this or I'll make this commitment or whatever and I'll think about it. No, if the Holy Spirit is leading us to do something, let, let's just give in and surrender it right now. Because you and I both know that there have been times where we've been right there with God and where we walked out the door, we got in our car, we got home and that window of where our heart was ready to turn to the Lord, ready to let the Lord draw it out of us, ready to take that next step for God, passed. And the Spirit of God wants to do it now. Freedom. Let me give you a couple verses why I have a few minutes on freedom. Because freedom is so misunderstood. When it talks about freedom, again, it's not just free to live however I want to. That's one of those misnomers that for folks that know that we teach eternal security. They go, oh, that, that's terrible because you're, you're teaching people that basically they can get saved and live however they want to. No, we're not. Because I want to take you to two verses that definitely do not teach that. Go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. Just over a couple books. 2 Corinthians. And then you'll come to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. But again, freedom is defined in the Bible not as doing what I want, but freedom to become what God created me to be. That's why Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. That's where we started out tonight. That God makes us adequate to be servants. And it's not this, oh, I'm free in Jesus, I can just do whatever I want. I can just sin and just go ask for his forgiveness. He's going to forgive me, right? So, no, if I understand salvation and I understand the calling of God on my life and I understand the freedom that the Spirit wants to give me, it's not free to live however I want to. It's not free, as Paul says, to indulge my fleshly nature. The freedom God gives me is so I can serve him and serve other people. And then turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Peter says here, live as free people. Again, that's important. Because many of us as Christians, and again, I can use my own life as an example at one point in my life. I wasn't free. I was saved. I was on my way to heaven. But something had a grip on my life. I was not free I was buried under by something other than God's Spirit. God wants us to live freely. He doesn't want anything else in our life to have that grip on us 
or to be buried under anything other than Him and His love. So Peter says, live as free people, notice, not using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but as God's slaves. That's the intent for God's freedom in our life. So anyone that gets the the understanding that when God calls us to freedom and says that when the Spirit of God is operating in our life, we're free, that somehow they get it meaning that, well, that means I can go out and do whatever I want to, have no biblical concept of what freedom is. Back to chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 18. Let's wrap this up tonight. So Paul says, And we all, with unveiled faces. See, we don't need to veil our face like Moses because what God wants to do in our lives and is doing in our lives isn't something that will fade. God wants to do something lasting, something eternal. So we don't have to be embarrassed about, oh, you know, I I got near God and now it's like it's fading. God wants to do it permanently. So he says, And we all with unveiled faces, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Again, there's a lot in there, but I got ten minutes, so we're going to get it. First of all, the word reflecting simply means at looking at oneself in a mirror. And we know that the Bible teaches that that we need to look into the perfect law of liberty, James chapter 1, verse 25. And as we look into the Word of God and see the glory of Jesus Christ, that God can take His Word by His Spirit and He can begin to change us. Which is exactly what He's saying here. That the more you and I behold the likeness of Jesus in the Word of God, the more God can change us into the likeness of Christ. They tell us that people who work with metal know that the metal is ready whenever they can see their likeness in the metal. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to work with our lives to where more and more, as time goes on, He can see His likeness in our lives so that we reflect and represent Jesus Christ to everyone we come in contact with in every place. The word transformed in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is the Greek word metamorpho, where we get our word metamorphosis. And it literally means to change into another form. And folks, This is the goal of our salvation. The goal of our salvation isn't the forgiveness of our sins and our ticket to heaven. Folks who think that don't understand what the Bible teaches about the scope of salvation and the goal that God has for bringing Jesus down to earth in the first place. The goal was never just as great as it is, the forgiveness of our sins, and we're on our way to heaven. The goal of our salvation is that God wants to make each one of us as Christ's followers like Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul said to the Romans in Romans 8, 29, that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans 8, 29. That's what God predestined us for. To be like Jesus. And God, God's goal for saving us and for giving us His Spirit is so that we will allow the Spirit of God to make that change from the inside out so that each day and each week And each month and each year that goes by, we resemble Jesus Christ just a little bit more as time goes on. This is why God saved us. Because then we can make God known to others in a clear, 
more accurate, deeper way. That as people look at our lives, watch our lives, listen to what we say, watch us interact with each other as Christians and how we act with people who aren't Christians yet, that hopefully they will get a picture of Jesus. And as they look at our lives, our lives will resemble the way Jesus would be. This is what Paul is saying. And this is the great truth. And notice Paul says that this happens, notice, from one degree of glory to another. Again, it's not an overnight thing. It's a lifetime process. We go from one level of resembling Christ to hopefully a greater level of resembling Christ. To a great, which again, this is why we've got to encourage more of our folks here at Cornerstone to grow. Because we're never going to resemble Christ without growing and allowing the Spirit of God to continue to work and draw things out of us and change us from the inside out. That's why, for me, worship is awesome. Serve is awesome. But for me, you and I, we can't worship or serve effectively if we're not growing. That, that growth has got to be the foundation. And so I'm really praying that these next two weeks here at Cornerstone, that we can get more people to understand how important Bible studies and spiritual growth and personal growth plans and all that is, so that they will begin to see the change that God wants to bring about in their life. And it's not just a forgiveness of sin and I'm on my way to heaven. It's a true understanding of what God wants to do in their life, to make us like Jesus. And God can do it. Because we're living in a day and age where we've got the Holy Spirit living within us. And the Holy Spirit can truly produce righteousness and can truly produce things in our lives that remain. And if we have this hope, Paul says to the Corinthians and to us, we will wake up every day ready to behave with boldness. Ready to hold nothing back for God and to hold on to something that's not necessary but to give our lives piece by piece, room by room, section by section to God and say, God, here it is. I'm turning this over to you. Use it for your glory. And God, if you see something down inside of me that I don't even see, if you think that I can do something for you that I wouldn't even dream, and you show that to me, God, then I will be obedient. And I will allow you to draw that out of me and call me to a place that I never would have allowed you to up until just a little while ago. See, I'm convinced, folks, you folks here on Tuesday night, you are a special group of people. And God has not assembled us here every Tuesday after Tuesday after Tuesday just to just to sort of take up some space on Tuesday night. God wants to use, in some ways, Tuesday night to raise up some people right here in this room to make an unbelievable impact for Him. And you just need to let God draw it out. You, like many of us, like many of the Bible characters, oh, God can use that other person, but he couldn't use me. And Oh, you don't understand, Pastor Jeff, what I've done in my past and how bad I've been and what kind of sins I've committed. And God could never do that with me. And we, we come up with all kinds of things. But God, through his spirit tonight, I think is saying to some of you, let me draw it out. Let me draw it out of you. Don't keep your life in this little box. Let God take your life wherever He wants to take your life. And let us let Him make all of us more like Jesus Christ. And Paul says at the very end of verse 18, it doesn't happen because we somehow make it happen. It happens when we just yield to the Spirit of God. When he says, which is from the Lord who is 
the Spirit. He started with the Spirit. He ends with the Spirit. Because that's how it all happens. It doesn't happen through Jeff Royce digging down deep enough and somehow, you know, sucking it up and trying harder and all of that. It comes through Jeff Royce saying yes to the Spirit of God. It comes through Jeff Royce waking up every day, in a sense, putting up my Christian sail and letting the Spirit of God blow that sail wherever the Spirit of God wants to blow. That's how it happens. It doesn't happen by me somehow, you know, just, like I said, trying harder. It's in dependence upon the Spirit of God. Folks, God is using all of you But I know, based upon what God has shared in my heart, God wants to use each one of you even more than He already is. And God has things that He wants to do with your life that you haven't even yet thought about. You haven't allowed yourself to go there yet because there's something that's got a grip on you. There's either something in your past or whatever that still got you buried under. But tonight, that can all change. You can turn to the Lord and let the Lord bring you up out of that grave and that grip of whatever's got a hold of you and begin to show you the kind of life that He really has for you. That you never thought He had for you you probably thought he had that for somebody else. And I'm here to say tonight, no, he has it for you and you and you, ma'am, and you, sir. And that gal over there, he has it for you. Every one of us. Let him draw it out of you tonight. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the reminder, God, that you don't want to just save us. You want to use us to be your servants. To make yourself known to others in this world. And God, there may be many folks sitting here tonight who, like many of the Bible characters and many people down through history, are saying within themselves, God, you got the wrong person. God, I'm not the right person. God, you don't know what I've struggled with. You don't know what I've done. All that kind of stuff. And I'm just asking God tonight that as clearly as you can, as God, that you would impress upon the hearts and minds of these folks here tonight not to go there, but just to turn to you And let that veil be removed. Let that grip be loosened. Let let whatever is bearing them be removed. And to walk out of this place with more freedom in Christ than maybe they've had in a long time or they've ever had. And God, bring us back next Tuesday to once again meet together to become more like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.